Thank you for joining us today for the podcast ministry of Unity Point Church. We're located at 124 Amerson Street in Anniston, Alabama. We hope that you'll join us very soon and be a part of our fellowship. We'd love to have you. Our three core values are Christ, community, and connections, and we try to find all three every time we come together. We believe that you're going to be both blessed and challenged by the message today, so let's dive right in. Most folks are probably looking for an Easter, in parentheses, message uh, when they come to church on Easter. They expect to, you know, just simply hear maybe sort of the same message about the tomb, the cross, the resurrection. And, and that is what will happen across the, the country and around the world today. But for us, we're going to get there, but we're continuing through Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, I do want to remind you here at the beginning, I get the commercial out of the way. I feel like I say all the time that um, we do have on our church app, if you look up uh, custom church apps and then look for us, look for Unity Point, uh, then there are sermon notes there for this message today and some fill in the blanks as we go that will help you uh, to, to be focused and to learn and integrate this. Turn me down just a little more, please, Caleb. Um, it'll help you to learn just a little more and integrate this into your life as we go. So, um, but we're going to focus on continuing through this idea of Christ greater than anything else as we continue to work through Hebrews. So we're in Hebrews chapter 10, and we are picking up in verse 26. We stopped there last week uh, at verse 25 because this next passage, um, you know, God just times things out. I always tell people, in fact, I was, I was meeting with a pastor yesterday that Brother Nick got me on to, and, uh, you know, God just does some things sometimes. We, uh, Nick had sent me a picture and showed a couple of these little displays, these little curved displays that are out there on the wall right now that another church had, and they were, they were doing some changing, and I'd kind of forgotten about it, and, and Nick was like, man, I could have went and got them for you, and, and I said, I'll go, and, I'll go and get them. Ended up meeting this guy that I've never met, spent about three hours with him yesterday. We were just doing pastor fellowship. He's about two years older than, than me, and so we were, uh, we were just enjoying it, and different folks were coming in. Santa Claus came in their church while I was there. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. This guy walks in, and I had my back kind of turned because we'd been in there talking for a little bit, and Jason says, uh, he goes, hey, Santa Claus. I thought, man, I don't know these people, and the name of the church is Eureka, so, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what's going on up in this place. And I turn around, and it was Santa Claus. It was Santa Claus right there, and, and his name's Chuck, and he mows the grass for them and goes to their church. And, uh, and Santa Claus Chuck, that's what he told me, Santa Claus Chuck. So, uh, so, yeah, I got to meet Santa Claus yesterday along with meeting a new pastor friend and, and then met a guy that we may have come speak for us, a young guy. His name's Andrew. He and his wife, God has called them to the mission field. Young man who used to be their youth pastor, and, um, and he and his wife are about to have a daughter in June, and God has called them to the mission field. His wife is finishing up a, um, going to be doing an internship for 
some teaching stuff, and he is finishing up a degree from Auburn. I was surrounded by people that needed Jesus yesterday. Um, he's finishing up a degree in agriculture, and God has called him to the mission field to go full-time to Indonesia. And so he said, he said, man, if you want somebody to come and speak about missions, he said, we're going to leave within the next year. So uh, be looking forward to, I'm going to find a way to get Andrew to come up and, and speak to us. And we were just talking about Christ being greater than anything else. At the end of the day, if there is anything that's, that's powerful about Easter, it is the fact that Christ is greater than anything else, including death. It is that Christ is greater than the tomb. Christ is greater than the cross. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, we can symbolize the cross. We can symbolize the tomb, all of these other things. But at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. It is all about Him and what He has done in our lives. And He is greater than anything else. So we're going to read uh, chapter 10, verses 26 through the end of the end of that book. And then we're going to dive into three points that I want you to get out of this. So beginning with verse 26, I'm reading out of HCSB in case you're following along. For if we deliberately sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. If anyone disregards Moses' law, he dies without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you've done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back... I have no pleasure in him. For we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and obtain life. Let's pray over the word. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. God, I pray that today you'll open our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears to receive your word, and that it will change us because your Holy Spirit knows what we individually need. God, I could not say the right words. I could not say the right things because I can't see hearts. But God, you do. And your Holy Spirit can speak to every person what is needed in their life. And so God, I pray that we will walk away today encouraged about being able to endure after having received the message of Easter, the gospel, the, the new life that we can walk in. And God, I pray that you'll help us to do that. We just pray and believe this in Jesus' name. And the church together said, Amen. Amen. So three points that we're going to talk about today. One is, yes, Jesus is coming back, even though we don't know exactly when. Number two, our response to Jesus must be to turn from a life of sin, knowing we have a better and enduring possession. And number three, we do not draw back into destruction. We have faith and we obtain life. That's the main three points out of this section of, of Scripture. 
It's those three things. Jesus is coming back. We've got to turn from a life of sin, knowing that we have a better possession, and we don't draw back into destruction. We have faith. So verse 37 that we see here, he talks about, we're going to, these don't go in chronological order in this passage. Actually, I think in order for us to understand them, we have to start with the idea that Jesus is coming back. Because if we understand that Jesus is coming back, then we have to be prepared to know what our response to that has to be. And it's not going to be where there's like a two-minute warning. It's not like start a church and get a five-minute countdown, and he goes, okay, all right, everybody that hasn't been living right, been doing whatever you wanted to do, you know, didn't accept Jesus, you know, party hardy, all that fun stuff. No, you know, give you a five-minute warning, go, okay, you got enough time to pray and get right with Jesus. That's not the way that works, right? Number one, it's not supposed to be about that. It's not supposed to be about, well, hey, I'm going to come to Jesus because I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. That's not what this is supposed to be about. This is supposed to be about recognizing what Jesus did for us, that God so loved the world that he gave. That's what should be driving us to be able to come to Jesus. That's why I often remind you guys that the Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not, hey, it's fear of what's going to happen to us. That is a, a reality, but God is not trying to scare us into, even when we read this passage, He's not trying to scare us into, oh, you need to come to Him because if you don't, something bad's going to happen. No, He says the reality is something bad happens if you don't come to Jesus, but come to Him because He loves you and does not want that to be what occurs in your life. Verse 37 there reminds us that Jesus is going to come back. He says, for yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Now, it's interesting because I grew up in church, right? I grew up in church my whole life. My, my grandfather was a pastor on my mom's side. My dad was a pastor. I always said I would never be a pastor, right? There's a lot of things that I've said I would never do in my life, and I have quit saying that to God. Like, I told God after we moved to Indiana, after being born and raised out here in Colder, I said, God, we will never move back to Alabama. But if we do, we will absolutely never live in Anniston. We didn't live in Anniston the first time that we, you know, growing up here, not in the city limits. God put us right smack dab in the middle of Anniston and then had us playing a church there. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, God, I said never. And he was like, yeah. Watch this, you know. <laughs> Hold my manna and watch this, you know. <laughs> yeah, some of y'all get that. Y'all get that later, you know. And, you know, so, yeah, it, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff that I, I said we would never, uh, we would never do. I said, I, you know, I'll never be a pastor. And so, so God made us move to Indiana. And I still say to this day that the four years that we spent living in Fort Wayne, Indiana, was so that I would not be around anybody that I knew. And because, you know, when you grow up in a pastor's family, I'll tell you what happens. Everybody asks you from the time you're a little kid, hey, are you going to be a pastor like your dad? Hey, are you going to be a pastor like your dad? And I was going, no. No, I'm not. And people, why? I said, because, number one, it is not something. This isn't like a career choice, guys. This is, if God doesn't call you, you'll fall flat on your face. This stuff will be terrible because it's a calling. And I didn't want to be called. <laughs> I was like, hey, I'll play piano or guitar or whatever and hang out in the back. Somebody else can be responsible for caring for the people, you know, because I watched my father, who's a great pastor, not just a great preacher, but a great pastor. I watched him care for me. I watched, I watched him at times. He, uh, my dad runs a barbershop. Many of you know my dad, but 
What many of you don't know is that early in the mornings, he will be down at the foot of that barber chair. That's where he'll pray. He'll go and pray it for that barber. He has cried over some of you. He has been there and taken you before God at the foot of that barber chair. And he has early in the morning all alone and been down there and let tears fall. And see, I, that's, that's, that's a pastor. And, and so I saw that. And so, you know, you hear a lot of things and you think a lot of things as you go through your life. A lot of things you say you won't do and all that kind of stuff. Well, one of the things I always heard growing up in church was, I've been hearing since I was born. You know, probably the nine months before I was born, you know, because I've been going to church for nine months before I was born. Some of you, yeah, that's the truth. And so I always heard, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And, and you've heard it all of your life. And you're going, man, I, I mean, it still hasn't happened. We're all still here, right? Now, if you really start studying the Word, you know some things that, that had to occur. The Bible talks about things that were going to happen. And if you really study it, you can see that those things have been occurring. That stuff happened all the way with Israel becoming a state again. All kind of stuff that's there that's reflected in Scripture that you would have to see it occur before that God would, would uh, send Christ to return. But we think about this and we go, wow, I read this scripture and he says, yet in a very little while, Nathan, this was written a long time ago. It's been more than a little while. I want to help you with that because these are one of, this is one of those passages where people will take this type of thing and say, see, this Bible thing's not true because it says it's but a little while and it has been forever and a day. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 8 it's, it's, it's funny, we don't have a problem, by the way, of uh, we'll watch movies and TV shows that are science fiction and all this stuff, and we realize today that some of the stuff we saw in television shows in the 50s and 60s, we can do it today. There's things that we can actually do that people didn't think would be able to happen. You go all the way back to the Jetsons, by the way. And think about robots and all that stuff, and people going, that's some crazy stuff right there. You have robots vacuuming your floor now if you want to. It doesn't look like the Jetsons robot. It's that little iBot thing, but it runs around. It sees stuff, goes around. It'll, it'll vacuum your floor. They got YouTube videos of cats riding the thing around in the house, right? <laughs> stuff that if 50, 60, 70 years ago, people, that's crazy. That stuff will never happen. And you now can go to the store and spend about $200 and buy a robot to vacuum your floor of your house while you're gone, and then it'll go plug itself up to recharge again. <laughs> You have more power. I, I, I've mentioned this before. You have more power in your cell phone right now. If you have a modern cell phone, I don't care if you're still one of those folks, you can get a flip phone still. If you got a flip phone even, you have more power in your cell phone right now than the computers that they use to put people on the moon. If you don't believe it, just look it up. Look up and see what the computing power was of the computers that they used to put people on the moon. Your cell phone, if you've got one of these smartphones, your cell phone has more computing power than what they used to put people on the moon. You carry it around, drop it, crack the screen, do all kind of stuff to it. Yeah. We don't have any problem seeing stuff that's science fiction and believing, but then when we hear stuff about God that seems contrary to normal things, what we think is normal, we struggle with a little bit. So I'm going to give you one. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says this. Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. How about that? 
He says, one day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. So really, if you wanted to take that scripture and you wanted to just kind of apply it to this thought, you know, A.D., B.C., for all the young folks, you know, because we're not teaching as much of this anymore, you know, A.D. and B.C., you know, you got before Christ, and then you got after, basically after Christ's death, you know, or after Christ. Then you're going to have, so now you got this time frame, so we're at, we're at 2021, right? So it's been about two days. For Jesus, it's like it's been about two days since he's gone. A thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. So realistically, we say, oh, it's but a little while. Well, two days is not all that long. Matthew 24, verse 35 and 36 is this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father only. Previous chapter, Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Revelations 22 and 12, Look, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to what he has done. Now, here's an interesting thought about Revelations 22 and 12. When we consider this idea that Jesus is coming back even though we don't know the time, the date, nor the hour, when you read Revelations 22 and 12, that one, if you, don't, if you don't understand spiritual truth in this, that one's a little concerning because he says, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to repay each person according to what he has done. I don't know about you, but quite honestly, I don't want to lay out my track record before God and say, hey, repay me for what I've done. Right? I mean, I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care how good that you feel like that you're trying to do. At the end of the day, the, the stuff that, for, for some of us, just riding down the road in traffic, the mean thoughts you've had toward people was enough to just jack your whole day up, right? I mean, you put so much in the negative column just in traffic on the way to work because you was thinking some stuff about those people, and you was, I mean, y'all know. I just, I'll leave it at that because I don't want to go into what some of y'all's done. You know, I mean, stuff just comes up and comes out of you right quick. You talking about them, you calling them some names, naming yourself here speeding, getting pulled over by the police. He... <laughs> no, it only happened one time, and he thought since it was only four miles over that that's not technically speeding. But if you're breaking the law, you're breaking the law. I just, <laughs> just want to share. I just wanted to share that because we haven't brought that up since he's come on board with us on staff. <laughs> just need to go ahead and get that one out here in front of the biggest crowd, you know, we've had in a new building. <laughs> breaking the law, breaking the law. Just saying, buddy. <laughs> he's still holding a grudge over that. He's, he ain't let go. I'm praying that he's going to repent, you know, and let it go, let it go, you know. Don't talk about that cough anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, if, if we were going to get repaid according to what we've done, and that's what's really important about this whole idea of, of Easter, the very fact of Easter, the fact of what Jesus has done through the cross, through, the, through his burial, after his death, through the resurrection, all that, has removed the need for us to get repaid for what we've done. Those that receive him are able to move away from that it is not our record anymore. But here's the interesting thing. If we are not willing to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, we will stand on our own merits. 
we will stand on our own merits. But here's the thing. I am so thankful that Scripture tells us that out of what Jesus did in Easter, that we can die with Christ. Our old man can pass away. We are raised to walk in newness of life. And it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And so when Revelation 22 says that when he comes back, that he's going to repay each person according to what he has done, I'm not the one who's living anymore if I've received Jesus Christ, but it is him that is living. And so when the Father looks at me, he sees the Son, and the Son lived a life of sinlessness and perfection. And so we are able to receive the reward that was due Jesus. That's why the Bible says, I've been stressing this for about the last month, that's why the Bible says that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We will inherit what we did not deserve because He has adopted us into His family. And so the whole idea about the cross, the whole idea about the tomb, the whole idea about resurrection is that my old person died and the fact that Jesus rose to newness of life gave me new life. But you have to receive him in order for that to happen. He is returning. We have to surrender our lives to his authority, his control, and his lordship. When we do that, then we receive his grace. We have our sins washed away. His mercy is poured out on us. No stains remaining. No records of our wrongs remaining. It's amazing. It's like having your record completely wiped clean. We, we often say that. We use that phrase with people. We say, well, hey, we're going to wipe the slate clean. But we really don't most of the time, right? What we really end up doing is we say, well, I'm going to remember it because we really can't make ourselves not remember the wrongs that somebody's done to us. We just can choose to forgive it, but we truly cannot forget it. But the Bible says that our sins are cast into the sea of what? Forgetfulness. That God, here's one of those things you go, well, how can God forget? I thought that, you know, that God was perfect, get, but God can choose to. God can choose to say, I will remember your sins no more. And when he chooses to do that, then he can wipe that away where he will not. And there was a song, I think it was Matthew West did this song probably 20 years ago or so, and, and the name of the song was What Sin? And the whole idea was the guy is coming to God and he's just talking about all the struggles and, and, and all of his sin. And of course that song goes, What sin? What sin? It's as far as the east is from the west. So when you keep going back to God and going, but God, I did this and I did that and I did this to somebody, and he's going, what are you talking about? Oh, that's, that's what you did before you asked forgiveness and I forgave you and Jesus' blood washed your sins away? You keep talking to me about something that I have chosen to forget. I do not know that of which you speak. Amen. That's the idea of the cross, the tomb, the resurrection. It is all of that. The second thing is that our response must be to turn from sin. I, I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you might not have known and recognized there was no sacrifice in the Old Testament system for deliberate and willful sin. don't know if you knew that. There was no sacrifice for deliberate and willful sin in the Old Testament system. Numbers chapter 15. I'm, I'm going to read this to you. Numbers chapter 15, verses 27 through 31. If one person sins unintentionally, 
He is to present a year-old female goat as a sin offering. The priest must then make atonement before the Lord on behalf of the person who acts in error, sinning unintentionally. And when he makes atonement for him, he will be forgiven. You are to have the same law for the person who acts in error, whether he is an Israelite or a foreigner who lives among you. But the person who acts defiantly, whether native or foreign residents, blasphemes the Lord. That person is to be cut off from his people. He will certainly be cut off because he has despised the Lord's word and broken his command. His guilt remains on him. See, like, oh, you didn't realize that. You thought everything in the Old Testament was you just go and do a, do a sacrifice and it's all covered. Uh, there, there was no sacrifice in the Old Testament for deliberate and willful sin. Here's why. We're going we're gonna to see this. I'm going to let you see this out of Acts chapter 17. If, uh, if you need to, turn your Bible on. Yeah, you, you stole that from me. But you know, turn your Bible on if you need to and go to, go to Acts Chapter 17, I want, you to, I want you to see something here. Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse 21. Here's what it says, Acts chapter 17, verse 21. It says, Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you were extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which is inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things." From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of, our, of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring." Being God's offspring, then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image uh, fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now, you've heard portions of that scripture probably before at some time. In, in, in particular, you've probably heard about that, well, God in times past, I think some translations say winked at ignorance or overlooked ignorance, and now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Here's what he's saying. He is making a connection to the Old Testament thing of willful stuff. It's willful, but people were ignorant. And, and ignorant, I think sometimes we, we think this term is really, really bad. You know, if you said, hey, Nathan, you're pretty ignorant about this thing. Now, most of us would say, hey, let's go out back and talk about it, right? You know, because you think somebody calls you ignorant about something, that they're really being, you know, trying to, trying to slander you pretty hard. The truth is the actual word simply means you don't know. 
It just means, hey, you're, uh, there's ignorant. It means you're unlearned about something. Now, we've turned it into a, into a harsh statement. But truly, if somebody admitted and said, hey, you know what, I'm pretty ignorant about that, that subject. It just means I haven't studied it. I, don't, I haven't put any time in it to understand it. And so God here says, hey, he's, at times he's overlooked ignorance, the fact that you didn't know. But now Paul is standing here amongst this group of people where they're worshiping all kind of stuff. They've got all kind of idols. In fact, they've got one. They've got a statue that says to the unknown God, just in case we've missed somebody. And he says, let me tell you about who that is. And let me tell you that he has made him revealed through his son, Jesus Christ, and he's confirmed him because he resurrected him. Easter. He says, but he has overlooked in the past that you did not know, but now you know, and God is calling you to repentance. See, ignorance was able to be overlooked when you unknowingly did something. But now that we have been made aware of what God has done through Jesus Christ, we have to deal with this fact that here he says, because this is the tough part here in verse 26 when he says, if we deliberately sin after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. You're like, oh my goodness. What is he saying? Is he saying that once you know about it, if you do anything wrong after that, you just can't get saved. You can't, I mean, nothing can happen. There's no sacrifice. The point he's making to the people here is they understood the sacrificial system from the Old Testament. And they understood that deliberate sins, there was no sacrifice for it. But Jesus comes along. And Jesus' sacrifice can pay for any sin. Jesus' sacrifice can cover all of our sins. And so the whole Old Testament system, by not being able to make sacrifice for deliberate and willful sin, was absolutely pointing us to the fact that when Jesus comes, He is the only one whose sacrifice would remove all sin no matter whether we did it intentionally, unintentionally, whatever it was, that Jesus was not, because Christ is greater than anything else. Everything about Him is greater, including His sacrifice. Not only would the sacrifice of Jesus Christ once and for all pay for sin, but it would once and for all pay for all sin if we would simply receive. Ignorance of of God's law, ignorance of the sacrifice that Jesus made. All those things exist. But the reality is God is now calling people when they hear about the message of Jesus Christ, people all around the world today that may sit in a church for the very first time and hear that, you know what? Jesus, God's Son, came to die for your sins, for the wrongs that you've done, and all that He asks in return is that you simply receive Him as Lord and Savior. That you surrender your life to Him and say, God, I will go where you say go. I will do what you say do. You will be in charge. Burn, I often refer back to when we were in, in Uganda. Well, the, the language that we were told to use when we stepped into that culture was, you can be the boss of my life. Because people in the culture understood the idea of somebody being in charge. And if the boss says, this is what you do, this is what you do. It's not like here where it's like the boss says, this is what you do. And you go, I'll do that if I want to. If not, I'm quitting. I'm walking out the door and, and it's all over. Right? I'll go find another job. In that culture, right, it was understood, hey, if the boss says, do this, this is what you do. And he says, I'm going to allow 
Jesus to be the boss of my life. For us, we understand him being our Lord and Savior. There's actually a tense that is used in the wording in this, uh, in this passage in Hebrews chapter 10. And what it actually means, what it says, for if we deliberately sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. The word there about this idea of deliberate sin means to go on sinning. It means that we believe, if we, if we were to believe that, well, I can come to Jesus Christ and get saved. I can ask Him to be Lord and Savior of my life. But then I can just go on willfully sinning. Don't care, going to do what I've still been doing, going to keep going down the path I was going. He says, if you are going down that path, you're wrong. I, I put a statement in into the notes and made it, made it pretty clear because that idea does not square with the lifestyle of someone who has come to understand the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, that has come to understand their own sinfulness and the fact that then God wants to redeem you through Jesus. If you have come to that true recognition, there is no way that you can receive Christ and then just willfully continue on in an ongoing lifestyle of sin. You just can't because what you're really saying is that Jesus in me won't change me. But the reality is Jesus in you will change you. Now, does it mean that he'll just flip the switch and everything about you all of a sudden becomes perfect? Now, well, I can tell you, you can look around in here and you probably know some people that are in here. And if you were just going to be honest, as good as they may be, you know they're not perfect. You don't have to look at your father-in-law or your mother-in-law or your sister or your brother or anything. I'm trying not to look at anybody in particular just in case, you know. But we all know it's true, right? None of us are perfect. So obviously that's not what God is doing. God doesn't just flip the switch and all of a sudden you become perfect and everything. But here's the deal. If you are able to just willfully continue, hey, I'm going to keep going right down that path of doing what I was doing, then I'm telling you Jesus is not in you. Because Jesus in you will change you. He will begin that wrestling match. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit that, that comes to indwell you, then that He will lead and guide you into all truth. He'll be convicting you. He'll be saying, hey, that's not right. That's not. You're going to get into that struggle. You can't just go out here and keep doing like you've been doing with no guilt, no shame. That's why when I hear people say, oh, yeah, I prayed, you know, when I was 10 years old, and, but then I spent my whole, you know, adult life off doing this and doing that, doing that. You need to get saved. That's what you need to do. You need to truly give your life to Jesus Christ because Jesus in you will change you. It will be progressive. It will take time. It will begin. But it will be happening, and it won't be that you just continue down the path. There's a powerful statement here in Hebrews chapter 10 that we just read where he talks about, he says that if we are disregarding and if we are continuing into this path of sin, he uses some really strong language. He says, how much more punishment do you think one will deserve? And he doesn't say one will get. Actually, he just says will deserve. Because he's not guaranteeing you're going to get it. He's saying, hey, you still can, can make a turn. You still can make a change. But he says, how much more punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and insulted the Spirit of grace? 
We don't like to talk about this a whole lot, but here's, here's the truth. If we say that we have given our lives over to Christ and then we turn around and, and we are willfully continuing in sin, number one, I would say that it challenges whether you've truly accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, right? Because it should start changing you. But more importantly, when you have some of that knowledge, it literally is saying, I'm just going to trample on the Son of God. I'm going to consider the blood that he shed that was going to wash away my sins. I'm going to consider it to be worthless. It's meaningless. And, and I would be willing to look at the spirit of grace that is saying, hey, I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to, and just insult the spirit of grace. I, it's kind of like, I know this is a, this is a tough comparison, but it's kind of like that you have the trust of your spouse. And you tell them, hey, I'm going over here. To, I'm going to go play golf today. I'm going to go do this today. I'm going shopping with the girlfriends. That, that would not be me saying that. That, that, would, that would be some of the ladies saying that. Whatever it is. And then you really were turning around to go have an affair. And they trusted you. And you lied to them. And you were... You were unfaithful. It's really not any different. It's, it's disrespect. It's profaning even the relationship. It's trampling on the trust. The Bible talks about that, that we, the church, become the bridegroom of Christ, or the bride of Christ, and he is the bridegroom. And, in, and, and we become married to him. I know it seems weird to a lot of folks, but, but it uses that relationship for us. And says, so you got to be faithful. You can't continue down this path of saying, well, hey, you know what? Once I, once I said, yeah, I really want to marry you, I want to get connected, but I'm still hooking up with everybody else that I can find everywhere I go and, and every grocery store I go in and, and, and slip around and do this and slip around and do that. Man, you didn't really commit to a relationship. He says, you can't do that. The writer reminds us of when we first came to Christ. He said, we endured hardship. I thought, you know, man, what, what, what hardship did most people endure when they first came to Christ? Because it's different when I think about today and when I think about what these folks are going through. I, I hate that I so often refer, and I've already done it once here, I'm going to refer to it again, but um, when we were in Uganda, it, it, uh, Papa Jimmy told us, he said, we, we, Bird and I were sitting with him uh, one, one morning at breakfast and because we were some of the newbies that first time that we went. And he said, you guys are going to see the closest thing to the New Testament church that you've ever seen. You're going to see people who, when they come to Christ and they want to get baptized out here in the river, not in the baptistry where everybody came to celebrate you, but out here in the river where the, where the cows are getting washed and they're washing some trucks and, and, and people that are, that are Muslim are over here and people of other faiths are over there and these folks are going to go out here in the middle of this river and we're going to baptize them and everybody knows and their families may walk away from them. Even to the point that he told us that there are, because it is still a tribal culture, it is still a tribal culture today, that, that a father-in-law can take the wife back, could take his daughter back 
because you now have abandoned our faith and whatever they had believed and, and could take the, the wife and the children and give them to another man. Because that, in a tri that tribal culture, hey, it's, you're part of the tribe. It's not just you get to have your own individual rights. It's a tribal rights. And, and out of that, when you, when you forsake the tribe, then the father-in-law could take the wife and the children and give them to another man. That is what people know. When they come to faith in Christ, if the rest of their family is not, that their, their tribe could turn on them. We don't face anything like that. We think it's tough because that you know that they talk bad on you know whatever talk show or they talk bad on whatever television show or you know other stuff that we view as and it is it's becoming more prevalent in our society to come against Christianity but it is nothing like what these folks endured. So when I think about it, I go okay God what what is it that we would face and be hardship? Well we do still sometimes today face the challenge of that your friends and your family don't agree with your faith. Some of you may go to lunch today and sit at lunch with family members that absolutely do not believe what you believe and in fact think you're a moron and an idiot for believing it. And some of you think they're a moron and an idiot for not believing it. And we all need to repent of some of all of that, you know, but... But that's, you're, you're, you're going to, you face some of this. But we endured that because when we came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we absolutely believe it's true. And the, the writer here says, don't throw that away. Don't throw away that confidence of your faith because it has great reward. But then he says something. He says, you need to endure. You need to endure. thought dropped into my mind that a lot of folks today, if we're not careful, we're like some of the soil types that are mentioned in the parable of the soils. People talk about, you know, it's the parable of the sower or whatever. Really, it's the parable of the soils, right? It's Because it's all about these different types of soils. It says there's, there's one good soil in this, right? There's one good soil that when, you, when the seed hits it, it takes root, it grows up, it's good. Then he talks about there's somewhere it grows up, but then there's, there's tares that grow up with it. There's, there's empty stuff that grows up, and, and, and that has to get separated out. And then he talks about there's somewhere there's weeds growing up, right? And when the cares of this world, and when they come along, they choke out the good stuff, and it, and it kills it off. It's kind of like crabgrass taking over your grass, you know, and your lawn and all that. Talks about there's one that, hey, there's seed that gets there, and it takes a little bit of root, but when the sun comes out, see, it's, it's so surface that it just burns it up and it goes away. If we're not careful, that's what we turn into. Hey, when stuff was going good... When stuff was going great, oh man, we were all about God. We were all about God's blessings. We were all about how God was pouring out on us. And then all of a sudden things don't go that good. The sun comes out. And, and, and it gets a little hot in our life. And all of a sudden, that thing, that faith, that hope, it starts to wither and dry up because we're not nourishing it. We're not having it get deep roots. As I was talking with this pastor yesterday and making friendship there, he was telling me, he said, Nathan, he said, man, I just keep, he said, people keep telling me, you just keep preaching the cross and you keep preaching about Jesus. And he said, I said, yes, because you've got to come there and put your roots down deep. Because if you don't, and you don't put that root down deep, then what will happen is that it will dry up and it will wither and it will go away. The writer tells us we need to endure. And the final and the last 
thing that he reminds us of is he says, don't draw back. And this is just kind of a continuation of this idea about you need to endure. He, he just makes this one statement. says, we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and obtain life. We're not those who draw back. He says, are we, we're not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and obtain life. Notice the connections. He says, those who draw back are destroyed, but those who have faith obtain life. And so I, I, I just want to ask you this question. Jason's going to come up and help me, uh, help me here as we're closing. What kind of stuff in your life have you been drawing back on? You know, I, I, Nathan, I don't, I don't understand what you're, what you're asking. Well, as we're sitting here today celebrating the resurrection of Christ, some of you, you got some stuff that needs to be resurrected in your life. You've been drawing back from some things. You, I mean, very honestly, for some of you, it may be that, you know, you feel like, man, there were some dreams I had. There was some stuff I wanted to do. There's some stuff I thought was going to happen in my life, and it has died. Maybe jobs, maybe relationships, maybe, you know, a lot of different things, but it just died. I think I've seen more in the last year of people who lost their joy, of people who lost their strength, people who lost their faith. And we've, we've tried to put it on a lot of different things, right? We've tried to put it on, well, it was COVID. Must have been COVID. Man, Alabama has... has uh, has stayed open more than most states. I can't imagine some of these states where there's people still not back at work. There's people that still are, are struggling to go anywhere, to eat in restaurants, all this kind of stuff, and we're in here hanging out in church, you know, without masks. Can you imagine if you were... But yet people around us, I promise, you know people around you that it seems like in the last year, man, it has just, it's like the, their joy has, has gone away. Their faith has fallen apart. It's not COVID. I'm just going to tell you, it, there are things that help trigger some of that stuff. COVID may be something that has, has impacted that. But at the end of the day, some of it is just because... We've got to get our root deeper and deeper and deeper in Christ. Because there's going to be, there's going to be some dreams. I asked a guy that walked in uh, doing an interview with us the other day. I said, uh, I said, hey man, so I know you know one of our guys at work here. He says, yeah. I said, you ever dunked on him? He's a pretty athletic guy and he told me they play basketball. I said, you ever dunked on him? He said, no man, I'm not a dunker, I'm a shooter. I said, I feel you, brother. Yeah, I'm not a dunker either. You know, maybe some donuts. But I, you know, I always wish that I could dunk, you know. You know, back when I was slim, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I always, well, you know what, that dream's dead. 
I'm not asking Jesus to resurrect that one. You know, that one, that one's probably not going to happen. There may be some stuff, though, that you, you go, man, I, I, I was looking forward in life to this and it didn't happen. And you know what? Maybe there's, maybe that's not the thing that God's going to bring back, but, but your joy and your hope and all that, that was tied to that, you, you've let it, it's gone. But God wants to resurrect that. God's wanting to point you to something else. God's wanting to use you in a different way. God's wanting to do... God is not done with a person that is sitting in this place. I don't care the youngest to the oldest. God is not done with you. God wants to give you life. He wants to give it to you more abundantly. But you've got to have faith. You've got to endure. And today... I would challenge you, do you need to spend some time asking Jesus? Maybe you need to ask him to really be the Lord and Savior in your life. Move past that, yeah, 40 years ago I prayed something, never lived like the devil ever since, and, and you need to go ahead and just get this thing right. You just need to, to ask him to be the Lord in your life today. Maybe you're needing to ask God to bring joy back in your life. I'm not saying that you are wanting God to make you where you pretend like nothing's happened in your life or that there aren't any challenges, right, or never been any hurts. Or, I'm not talking about that. But still having the ability to have joy. Maybe you need to pour out your hurts and your frustrations. Sometimes I think that we... Maybe we just believe that God's not okay with us coming to him and, and being his kids. Right? There's times where our kids come and we just, we let them pour it all out, right? Just get it all out. Because they need to, they need to get that out. They need us to know. They need us to hear that. And I promise you, God is serious. He already knows. He just wants to give you the opportunity for you to get it out and say, God, I'm struggling with this. I don't understand this. I don't know why this. I don't know why that. You need to let him resurrect some faith and hope in you today. Take some time and pray. And, and whatever it is in this moment that you need to spend some time with God. And we're going to, as we get through that, then we are going to... Uh, take communion here at the end of service. I, I told you last week we were going to have communion two weeks in a row just because I felt led to do it last week and I always do communion on, on Easter because the Bible tells us about that we do that in remembrance of Him. But we're going to spend some time right now in prayer first. Father, thank You for who You are. I thank You for Your grace and Your mercy.